Welcome, podcast friends. We're back with volume six of the Best Investment Writing Series. Each year, our team carefully sorts through tons of research and investment letters from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world to pick the best of the best to share with you. We offer the authors of those pieces the chance to record an audio version as a segment of the podcast. Past participants included the likes of Cam Harvey, Larry Swedro, and Rob Arnott. Enough from me. Let's get to our guests and let them take over this special episode. Hello, this is Richard Ennis. I'm retired chairman of Ennis Knup and a former editor of Financial Analyst Journal. Today I'll be reading from an article appearing later this year in Journal of Portfolio Management. It's titled, The Modern Endowment Story, a Ubiquitous U.S. Equity Factor. It's actually the third in a series of articles on endowments I've done in the last two years. The first article, Endowment Performance, which appeared in Journal of Investing, examined returns over a 47-year period beginning in the mid-1970s. It identified three investment eras. I call the first of them the stock and bond era. That's when endowment portfolios consisted primarily of U.S. stocks and bonds. It ran for about 20 years. I concluded during that era, Nakubo's composite of large endowments underperformed passive investment by about 80 basis points a year, roughly the amount of management fees and transactions costs. I dubbed the second era, which ran from 1994 through the mid to late 2000s, the golden age of alternative investing. During that second era, those same endowments outperformed passive investment by about 400 basis points a year and generating great enthusiasm for what came to be known as the endowment model. The golden age came to an end with the global financial crisis of 2008. In the post-GFC period, large endowments underperformed passive investment by a wide margin and with consistency. The composite of large endowments underperformed the passive benchmark in the post-GFC era by an average of about 1.6% a year and in 10 years out of 12. A striking turnabout. The second article was titled, Failure of the Endowment Model. It appeared in JPM last year. It critically examined the endowment model itself. Are the many so-called asset classes employed truly asset classes or merely styles of active management? Do alternative investments add value as diversifiers? Are alternative investments adding value through alpha? As a result of my research and analysis, I concluded that the endowment model itself had ceased to be a productive approach to portfolio management. For the article I'm discussing today, I begin by exploring key drivers of the return of large endowment portfolios. These drivers include U.S. equities, non-U.S. equities, high-yield fixed income slash credit strategies, 
private market real estate, venture capital, buyouts, and various hedge fund strategies. What I immediately find striking is the high degree of correlation between these return drivers and the U.S. equity factor. By the way, I proxy the U.S. equity factor with the Russell 3000 stock index. The analysis, incidentally, covers the last 13 years, including the GFC bear market. The lowest correlation coefficient is that between high-yield bonds and the Russell 3000. That correlation is 0.56. The others average 0.9. For the Nakubo composite of large endowments, return correlation with the U.S. equity factor is 0.98. I expected a high, high correlation, but am mildly surprised to find that it is as high as 0.98. I examined the performance of the composite using returns-based style analysis. I incorporate all the return drivers mentioned above, plus investment-grade bonds, as independent variables in creating a performance benchmark. The resulting regression equation is statistically powerful. The R-squared is 99.9%. Tracking error is a minuscule 0.4%. The alpha is minus 2.5% a year. The observed underperformance is consistent with my prior findings. Separately in the article, I estimate the cost of investing the typical large endowment fund, which has an average allocation to alternative investments of 60% of assets. The estimated average cost or expense ratio which I build up independently using asset class data, also works out to be 2.5%. These results are consistent with the finance dictum that, to the extent markets are efficient, a diversified portfolio will underperform passive investment by its margin of cost. I also calculate the sharp ratio of 37 individual endowments. Here I find that all but two of them have a lesser sharp ratio than the benchmark. This result reinforces the underperformance story, with high cost being the most likely cause. After evaluating the performance of the endowments, I return to the very prominent influence of the U.S. equity factor in accounting for endowment returns. I'm interested to see if I can observe any trend in how the U.S. equity factor impacts endowment returns. To do this, I apply the benchmarking algorithm described above over decreasing time periods. Beginning with the full 13 years, I reduce the window to the most recent five, one year at a time. This is very revealing. As I shorten the historical period, the investment grade allocation decreases from 16% to just 3%. At the same time, the Russell 3000 crowds the other asset classes out of the solution entirely. 
what we are left with for the most recent five to seven years is a mimicking portfolio that is 97% U.S. equity and 3% of what appears to be frictional cash. The explanatory power of the regression retains its extraordinary strength, despite there being fewer observations. I refer to the most recent five- to seven-year period as the modern era of endowment management. During the modern era, for all intents and purposes, the U.S. equity factor is the exclusive driver of returns. The modern era constitutes a fourth era of endowment investing, when large endowments became all-in U.S. equity investors. These results raise important strategic questions. Do endowment trustees and CIOs even realize how heavily they are exposed to a single stock market? The fund's bias toward the home market takes on additional importance in light of the extraordinary valuation level of the U.S. equity market. As of October 2021, Robert Schiller's cyclically adjusted price earnings or CAPE ratio for the United States was approximately 39, compared with about 24 for Europe and Japan. At 39, the U.S. CAPE ratio is 2.3 times its long-term average of about 17. It reached a low of about 13 during the GFC. And at a CAPE ratio of 39, investors buying U.S. equities are paying 63% more for their earnings than are investors in other principal markets. The endowments are betting heavily on the home market and paying up to do so. The Japanese experience offers a sober reminder that country market diversification matters. Japan's share of global market value rose from less than 5% of ACWI to about 40% over the course of two decades, only to fall back to about 6% currently. Here are a few takeaways from the article. Large educational endowments in the U.S. have heavily concentrated their investments, liquid and illiquid, in ones that are moderately to highly correlated with a Russell 3000 index. They have underperformed by 2.5% a year over the 13 years ending June of 2021. The margin of underperformance matches the estimated average expense ratio 2.5%. During the most recent five to seven years, which I refer to as the modern era, modern endowments have exhibited an effective U.S. equity exposure of 97% of asset value, with frictional cash accounting for 3%. The overwhelming exposure to the U.S. equity market raises important strategic questions related to risk tolerance and diversification for trustees and fund managers. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have found this to be of interest. (music) 